to the sunken place. <laughs> I think that's true. I don't know. It feels like they rented out a person. Like, well, they're running out of black people. Yeah, but it feels like they're renting these black people out. Like, they have to pay her, right? Like, yeah, she definitely gets paid to be there. Yeah, sure. that just if, was, if she better. That was if she's not, then that's even worse. I feel. It's more of a come up for um, Kim than anything else. All right. Shall we? Yes. Welcome to things they don't tell black people about law school. We are two first generation cis black women at a T20 law school. And we're here to share things that we wish we knew or things that we wish people talked about. This is just our experience or this is just our perspective based on our experience. (laughs) (laughs) All right. How was your week? It was pretty good. It was a it was an eventful week, law school wise. I finished my note for journal, which um, we've never discussed what journal is, but journal is essentially a writing. Um, it's a publication. It's a publication that most law schools have at least one or two journals that put out um, articles that are written by. Um, like professors or scholars um, in the law and our school, some of the journals ask you to submit your own piece of writing that could be published in the journal. And so Mm -hmm. I submitted a 30 page paper. Congratulations. Thank you. That was a lot. (laughs) Um, I have a question about that. Mm -hmm. So when you say the journal, like where do people access the journal? Is it just, I I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. I think it, there are physical copies. I've seen physical copies of it, but I think it is accessible online maybe, but I think for the most part, most journal articles are accessed through like Lexis and Westlaw, you know, mm-hmm. like secondary sources. Do they categorize the journals the same ways that we do into uh, the different, you know, like, is it a sub like, oh, this is journal for jurisprudence? Sometimes some schools have journals that are like super specific, like some schools, which is really cool. They'll have like a like a black journal, like it'll just be like all about like black theory and black law and things like that. Um, And or like not black law, but law as it pertains to like its application (laughs) and its implications for black people. Um, And so is that racial justice or different? Some some of them are called racial justice. Some of them are just called the Black Law Journal. <laughs> mm, like and that. so um, they, uh, so it really depends. But like if you, for example, if you're writing about a topic, um, let's say you're doing a brief or um, you're, you want to write your own thing, um, you can just go on Westlaw and like you'll search your topic and it'll just come up and sometimes it'll just be from like the like, I don't know, Harvard Law Review. And then sometimes it'll mm-hmm. be from like a hyper-specific journal. It just, it, it depends. What do you write? Can I ask you what you wrote about? Um, Yeah, it was utter garbage, but I wrote mine about- You said um, it was utter garbage? It was not. What? It could have been good, but I just didn't have the time. Like it just really, mm-hmm. I just wish I, like if if this was a class worth more credits- then it would have been like, oh, I could spend t-. like if this was like a three credit situation, then I would have been like, oh, OK, I could spend the time on this and like write mm-hmm. something really good. But I just didn't have the time. Um, and um, it's one credit, right? Yeah. But some schools don't give credit for journal. And I feel so, like you guys do so much work. For, you do a lot like of work, long for- credit. 
Exactly. Like you do so much work. And so, um, I, mine was about, um, it, it started off as like a trying to determine like how like musicians can get fair royalty rates under the legal scheme that's set up right now. Um, but then I was like, no, I want to write about race. Um, and so then I was like, well, black musicians are historically underpaid. So I was like, okay, I'll write about that. But then I was like, I don't, I need to think of like a creative solution to this. And I don't know if it's actually a a real solution, but I was like, I'm going to write about what if we change the UCC, the uniform commercial code Mm -hmm. to wait, what is that? The Uniform Commercial Code, which if you take uh, 1L contracts, you'll contracts. learn, um, mm-hmm. is essentially the guiding doctrine uh, behind like contracts law. Um, it is a series of codes that tells people how they can enter into contracts and things like that. And the court uses it as guidance when they're making decisions of whether a contract was fair or whether a contract should be upheld and things like that. And so my suggestion was to uh, renew, remove the race neutral landscape or like lens of the UCC um, mm-hmm. and incorporate more consideration of things like race and socioeconomics and the implications they can have on whether like a contract is actually like good faith and fair dealing or whether there can actually be like reasonable like consideration. How, what would that look like, though? Because the law is supposed to be, you know, facially neutral. I know. That's why I said it, I don't think it was good. Oh. Um, but essentially. No, I'm not saying it's bad. So but I'm just wondering. There is a theory out there that instead of taking like a law, like a purely law and like, let me see, I got to go into the paper to actually remember what I wrote because it was it was just like a lot. But essentially what I did is I borrowed from three theories um, that I'd found on like what like the law could be around like contract law Mm -hmm. when it comes to like the UCC and like incorporating race into it. And so like one of the theories is like expanding contracts law to be less of like a um, like just like a law in like it's more of it's a law and economics approach but essentially focusing more on economic equality and so basically what it is is like instead of the court just being like oh well this looks like good faith because both parties enter and in, enter into it at the same time and like both parties like um essentially like yeah, exactly but it's more of the idea of like well did both parties have a lawyer or like who like the court doesn't consider things like that sometimes and it's like and if both mm-hmm. parties did have a lawyer like was it an actual lawyer who was the lawyer for um and it's like i mean i don't think it'll ever happen but it is essentially turning the law on its head and and stop pretending that like everything is race neutral I'm not doing a great job of describing it. No, I think you are. But I think that's really interesting because we, I think that's the issue that we run into with a lot of our classes is that they teach it, they teach the law if it it is facially, well, it is supposed to be facially neutral, but I don't think that works in practice, unfortunately, in the American context specifically. I was actually talking about to a professor. Oh my gosh, I'm obsessed with her. Um, my comparative constitutional law professor, and the way t- professors' memories work is kind of scary. So mm-hmm. I was talking to her because I'm just a fan girl. I was like, "Oh, there's a rumor that you speak nine languages," and she was like, "I love that there's a rumor about that." But she speaks five, and we mm-hmm. were just talking about her connection to those cultures. And um, 
I had recently gotten back from a trip to Peru and I was just surprised at how diverse it was. And like, we were just talking about the legal system and she was like, yeah, she's like, you know, I really appreciate that in my class last, I had her class last spring. So at this point it's been a year. She was like, you, oh, what is the case? She was like, you brought up race in a takings case. And this woman is a doctor in, you know, Mm -hmm. like constitutional law. And she was Mm -hmm. like, I had no idea it was about race. Um, And see, that's really disturbing. And she's super smart. And she's so smart. This is her jam, but she didn't even consider that. The crazy thing is it completely flipped, flipped people's perspective of the case. And she was like, that was such a fun fact. She's like, I now bring that up in classes because I'll make it short. But essentially, the case was asking if a small group of landowners were able to keep that land or if it was more equitable for the land to be distributed among people who were like moving to it was in Hawaii, I believe, mm-hmm. um, people who were like moving to the place. Oh, I remember that. You know, case. I remember exactly what case you're talking about on on its face. It sounds like, you know, in my head, I was like, there's a bunch of rich white people hoarding this land and from not the indigenous communities. And it was the other way around mm-hmm. the land, the small group of landowners were indigenous people. Exactly. I remember that to their land and white people were coming in wanting to take the land. I and I was like, that. It, so I think that there it's interesting because, you know, obviously when I found out the, the, the makeup of the people who the dispute was against, I was like, mm, I don't really know. Originally without it, I was like, oh no, like they should have to distribute that land. But then when I found out it was indigenous people, it completely changed my stance. But maybe that's why I have, I struggle with this all the time. Like, should the law be facially, you know, should it be neutral? (laughs) I mean, the obvious answer is no, but it's tough. I, I, I get that it's tough. I think it's It's tough under the landscape we live in now, but I think, I think law school does a huge disservice to all of us, um, especially to the white students. But I think it does a disservice to everyone by not including race all the time. Like, I personally think that we and I also think one thing I hate about law school, in addition to, like, the fact that we don't talk about race enough, is the fact that we don't talk about these being real people enough. Mm -hmm. Like, we read a lot of cases and we're just like oh, um, somebody got hit by a train and then it's like, oh, okay, next case. Here's, here's the rule. Like, here's how torts will handle that. And then it's like, these are real people. These are real lives. And I think that like, yes, that would get us too bogged down in it. We would never get through anything. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that there should be a consideration of the fact that like, these are real people. These are real lives and there are real implications around this. And like, um, I think that's how, like, I'm not going to say that this is the sole reason racism has succeeded thus far, but I think a big reason racism succeeds, especially in the legal context is, um, people think that we are in an, in a neutral system mm-hmm. and it's like, Oh, we are not. It's like, we're not like it, it. We're not at all. And, but when you go to law school, the one time you talk about, like, I talked about this in my note, the one time we talked about race and contracts, which is a system that was built on like, like the first contracts were trading black bodies, but the only time oh, we talk about race about that. Mm-hmm. I have a question. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I was, let me just finish. Stop, sorry. But the only time we talk about race and contracts is Williams versus Walker furniture. 
Um, and that's just like a random unconscionability. Yeah. And that's just like an aside. Cause they have to mention the fact that it was unconscionable because he was going into this black community, but like, that's the only time race is discussed. Do you want to tell folks what unconscionable means? Unconscionability means like a contract is just so outrageous, like so outlandishly, like unfair to one party that like it, it can't be upheld by the court. Yeah, like a good example would be like interest rates. I think there was something recently about a woman in Chicago who bought a car and it was it looked like like a 92 like Nissan or something. Mm-hmm. And her interest rate was so high but that by the time she finished paying it off, she would have paid $22,000. Like that That's crazy. could be considered yeah. an unconscionable contract. Um <laughs> but uh, what were you talking about? Uh, I was talking about the first contracts being the trading of black bodies. And you said you had a question about that. Oh, chattel. Yeah. So somebody asked me um, earlier this week, is the word chattel alone as a term racist? Like, uh, I don't. Just using I don't, it. I never use the term chattel. <laughs> I don't use it. And I actually have never heard people use the term chattel. I think so. There are these terms. So chattel means property for yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, like for, it's it, it and people call like slaves were chattel. Um, I think there's something about it. I think it's actually it has to be tangible property to be chattel. So there are these words. I don't know if I've ever told you about this, but I have. I'm trying to think of more that I have on the list. I can only think of one right now. But there are these words that I have that are used in the law to this day that aren't on the face like not necessarily racist or like anything but like they make me uncomfortable oh it's chattel uh, one chattel is one now because <laughs> i had never thought about it but indigent is the word like so oh, I, ind- oh yeah indigent is a word that's used a lot in the law um it, it actually is the word that's used to describe someone who cannot afford to pay for an attorney so someone who gets an attorney through like a public defender would be considered an indigent client. That they word actually, makes me, oh, go ahead. They act. So I wanted to email our office. of um, I don't know what that woman handles, but someone was in a, a virtual event for incoming students. Again, we're admissions ambassadors. So we interact with students or prospective students are admitted. And she was like, yeah, you know, the clinics are great for indigent people. And I was like, that doesn't, feel but that's you the know, term i hate that term but it's, it's accurate but it just feels like it feels disgusting <laughs> yeah it's almost like you like it it is synonymous with poor and yeah. that's not how you it's i think it takes it's uh i think it's a little bit like you know dehumanizing it is it just like i um it really hit me this last semester we were in like a i was in an appellate class and we just kept like the term kept coming up and I was like I asked I was like is there no other term we can use like I just hate this and like the courts that's all they use so um I'm adding chattel to that list of like not necessarily words that are like on the surface like problematic but they make me uncomfortable for a reason that like I can't quite place you know, I'm, I I did a googling of indigent, and um, impecunious is also similar to that. But I think impecunious has more layers, yeah. which is funny to me because I like impecunious. But <laughs> I think that there are. I 
try not to move from that headspace. It's funny. I was, uh, I had brunch with a friend today and we were talking about, they love to talk about philosophy and we were talking about like the philosophy of superiority, um, specific to diet. Uh, mm-hmm. they were promoting vegetarianism and veganism. And then we kind of related it back to the law. But I think a lot of these words have an air of superiority that I yeah. personally tried not to embrace or, you know, that's not really like, I, I don't think I have ever described someone as poor. I will just describe behavior as poor, but like not your state of being, um, that's not too far, but like your financial situation, your financial, like, I just, I mean, I just think that like low income is right there. Yeah. Like low, or you know, sometimes you don't even need to say that like clinics provide services to the community or to people who cannot afford a traditional lawyer. Like it, they're just like, I don't know. I just, I feel like there are other ways to describe it without like indigent, like, I don't even know why people need need to bring in like I don't know how important the financial situation is to who we're providing services to I think unless you can't. I think that's where the superiority comes in though because you want to make it seem like because we are in this position we're like helping poor people that's how I feel when people I, say things I think so too based. I think so too especially when like like if you're trying to recruit clients yes you should let them know that you can only participate in these clinics if you are of a certain socioeconomic yeah. status but if you're just trying to advertise it to potential students they don't need to know that the client most of the clients do are of a certain socioeconomic status they just need to know mm-hmm. that we're just doing this to help people yeah i think it adds it adds a savior component to it. yeah which like and i common in law school <laughs> i think it's really interesting i was also talking to one of my friends who um she works at this really cool company they're doing something really neat but essentially it is for people who are venture capitalists or just have you know a lot of wealth and instead of invent or investing in traditional funding sources or like funds they reinvest in nonprofits and NGOs. Really cool initiative, but it is minority ran. It's co- they have two CEOs. I'm going to stop giving too much information because people might figure out who it is. But um, essentially, she was telling me like they're so mindful of the language they use, and I do find generally when I work with minorities in or when I have worked with minorities it rarely comes up that there is something that they mentioned that, you know, creates a barrier between who we're helping and who they are. And I find that it is in white space, or I have found that typically in white spaces, there's this like this underlining desire to create differentiators. I totally agree. I I have made like throughout my life, I've worked in various spaces and I totally agree. Um, And I think it's also, um, I just think that people who I am sorry, this is a generalization. Maybe I shouldn't say this, but it has been my experience that a lot of the white people that I work with in those like NGO, nonprofit, uh, public interest law spaces tend to have like a white savior complex. Like Mm-hmm. It's like they want to do it. They're definitely doing it. They have valid reason for doing it. But there's also a little bit in the back of it that's like, look at me as a white mm-hmm. person taking the time to do this. And I just feel it's 
it always that's why I always have a bit of pause when I enter these spaces and there are a lot of white people because I'm just like um you're not doing anybody a favor. It's even like white teachers, like recently it's having like insecure. Gone, we were no, just it is. It is like in the episode. We got y'all. We got y'all. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you every time I'm gonna be honest, like honestly, that's what made me fall in love with Insecure the most was the first season because it was like every time and, and to this day, every time I walk into a space where it's like a nonprofit or a public interest situation or a school and there are white people in a lot of non, you know, a lot of a majority minority situation. Mm-hmm. It, it's immediately like, look at how good I they're am. Serving for doing this. Exactly. They're serving a majority. Exactly. Sorry. Yeah. They're serving a majority mm-hmm. minority community. It's like, wow, look at me. Like I'm really taking the time. I like, I'm like, go f yourself like you you like yeah. I, it always it just makes me so uncomfortable or adapting someone else's struggle is really weird i was in for clinic we had to do um we we're very involved in the community even the professor who's teaching clinic i'm like mm, you have some hints of that oh they called me the wrong name oh my god she so I, that so i i i won an award i don't know if i told you the it's like um leaders of tomorrow like i won some award oh, um, but she nom- thank you but she nominated me for the award an hour after she messed up my name via email so she emailed my clinic group and she was like hey she was like i need you uh to help out with this and one of my partners was like i think you called or you included the wrong email so i'm going to include you know the person who i think you meant to include an hour later the professor was like Hey, I'm going to nominate you for this award. And I was like, yeah, because you know you fucked up. <laughs> oh my God. Um, so well, congratulations like on the award. But that, but so it was really funny. The, that is a long line of, um, actually, I got a, another mistaken for another black person this week. Oh, is, it, so, start- is it your, your least favorite one? No, I, I don't even know who it was this time. <laughs> so, you know, what's really funny is I met this one L. She was white and she's like, I was like, oh, nice to meet you, blah, blah, blah. Um, and she goes, oh, you judged my. So this one else have to do like an oral argument presentation um, where they have to like mm-hmm. do like five minute speech on something. And she's like, oh, you judged my oral argument. And I was like, no, I didn't. I'm not a TA. Mm-hmm. I don't judge oral arguments. And this was the funniest like this was perhaps the funniest way a white person has handled it. She goes, oh, my God, it must have been somebody else with cute nails like yours. <laughs> <laughs> I about That's so good. Did you um, laugh? I was like, um, probably. Bye. <laughs> it was it was the good one. I was like, I oh. don't like you. You're on my list forever. But I uh, appreciate the creativity. <laughs> There needs to be a thread of black people describing their experiences of being confused for other black people. When I worked in my company, I used to get confused for my 43 year old COO. And at the time, (laughs) I think I was I was 27. And, you know, at these networking events, we don't look anything alike. And also, you still don't even look 27. (laughs) 
she so you're gonna crack up when you get this photo but um I was at a conference and we had been drinking and when I drink you know I get a little loose at the lips but um someone was like oh you know blunt uh Jane I was like oh no I was like that's the other black lady in my office but could try and they turned red and somebody was like I can't believe you just said that I was like that's funny oh wait that's not her that's not oh (laughs) you did it Oh, I'm sorry, I accidentally. So what used to, oh, you sent me a picture of a white woman. Okay, it's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I wish there was a thread of black people doing it. And you know, not to say that it doesn't happen to uh, brown haired white men a lot either, but you know. No, it's just like a special kind of like racism. And it was funny, I was talking to one of our classmates who y- y'all don't look anything alike. <laughs> She's very pretty, but y'all don't. Sure don't. Y'all don't I look mean, anything a, alike. No. Completely so, different. She's also five eight. <laughs> I'm five three and a half. It was really, and it's not. Um, it's really just like any not like any person of color. Because I was talking to one of our classmates who's um like Middle Eastern, and she was saying she gets mistaken for like another student who I don't even think is Middle Eastern. She's just not white. <laughs> and I'm like. <laughs> y'all are different heights y'all are different like and it's not that many of us like you should be able to keep track of the 10 well you know i was calling um home girls roommate the wrong name accidentally <laughs> for years so you know i don't i feel bad I feel but it's bad. not I just, it's I not the same it's not the same it's not the same it's not but... the same us us mistaking their names as reparations they're mistaking well, ours as racism it's funny how they they're like oh you know we're doing such good work but like oh y'all look the same like exactly. we want to help you but we don't really we we don't really know who you are you um, could be anyway oh, but... <laughs> At the clinic, though, so I guess taking a step back, because we've been talking about like working at places, clinic is an opportunity to get out in the community and do real life work. I'm actually applying for a certification that would allow me to practice as a student. So, but I'm working on getting certified so that I can do real life practice, which is a really cool opportunity if you're a law student in a state where you do are able to get that under your belt. I suggest doing it. Um, your school will likely pay for it. But anyways, we were in the community and it was really cool. So we were observing community lawyering, which is kind of the opposite of what we're describing with people who have this white savior complex. Community lawyering is really rooting your practice in being a member of the community. So most of the time, that means you live in your community, the community that you're serving. You interact with a lot of the people that you're helping. You are aware of local businesses. You understand the inner workings of how the community operates. And a lot of people advocate for this kind of community-centric focus for civil workers and teachers and basically anyone who is serving local residents. Um, So part of that is going to these meetings. And there is, for the most part, there were these nonprofit organizations there. Uh, The nature of the thing was that um, they were trying to inform community members of the options that they had because the local government was not. They were trying to push Mm -hmm. people out of this area. Mm -hmm. This woman Everybody, you know, I was getting snaps and claps. And this one woman started using the term these people. And she was like, oh, it was bad. And she was white. And she was like, you know, you are trying to push these people out of their home and you're not giving them options. And she was like, these people, (laughs) this is where I got bad. She's like, these people probably wouldn't even know a good neighborhood if they had a map right now. Oh my God. 
I know. She was like, and it was funny because it was a broom about maybe 50 to 60 Black people. And they just turned around and looked at her. And she was like, you need to give these people more information so they can be informed. And I emailed my supervisor, who is a Black woman. I was like, hey, is that normal? Is that like usually how you guys talk to each other? And she was like, no, that was a very much an othering. And I think the othering, which I think is a term that we coined from one of the classes we took on racial justice, but avoiding othering being like, I am here and you are over there is really Mm -hmm. important when you're helping Mm -hmm. someone. And I think that's just basic empathy. I think it's also just, and I think, but I'm going to be honest with you. um, A lot of people don't have empathy. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that because I think you're a very empathetic person. I think I'm a pretty empathetic person. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think because we both operate from a level of empathy, we assume the rest of the world has like a base level of it. And they don't like there are a (laughs) lot of no, for real. I had to I learned that about people in my personal life. And I was like yeah there's just like you just don't have that switch you know (laughs) like but maybe that's the issue with how a lot of people approach like public interest work you lack empathy and it's really you make it more about you than it is than helping someone and when you're helping someone I think your ego has to take a back seat there's obviously things that you shouldn't do (laughs) but for the most part it's not about you yeah and it's like it's not even like you shouldn't even think about like is almost like helping someone. You should just be like, I'm excited to do this thing for this, like with this person, you know, like, and it's not Mm. often it's like one thing I often struggle with, which is like, I've done a couple of like um, asylum clinics, helping people apply for asylum applications. Um, And immigration clinic. Mm-mm. I did it through my firm. I've done it through like my summer firm. I've also mm. just done it through volunteer programs here in our city. Um, well, I should say the city we go to school in since you don't claim the city, but <laughs> in the city we go What's to asylum? school in. So asylum, asylum applications are for people who have immigrated to the United States um, and are seeking to remain in the United States um, through a process of, um, applying because it is unsafe for them to remain in their, mm-hmm. um, home community or home country or home city. Due to some kind of persecution. Yeah. And it's usually something pretty heinous, um, that has happened, um, in relation to them personally, their identity or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, one thing I've enjoyed about doing those asylum clinics is it doesn't feel like I'm doing something for someone. It feels like I'm doing something alongside someone like the client is very much more, well, more valuable than I am because they have the information you need to get the things done. And so we're very much sitting, working alongside one another to get it done, which I I really enjoy, you know, I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, it's more of a we mentality. Exactly. Like it, it, we're a team You're trying to get mm-hmm. this done. And I'm just the person with the um, eventually, hopefully with the letters behind my name, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I love that. So not like um, 
what's it called when people do or when like the tourism where people like insert themselves into an impoverished situation and then they're like oh it was so empowering being there and helping these people and then they just kind of go back to their life of luxury i don't know i call it ghetto tourism but i don't think that's a politically correct it, term for there there is a, a <laughs> word for it though like you know when people if you're on dating apps or whatever people have themselves surrounded by a bunch of brown children exactly or <laughs> I discovered a picture of one of our classmates holding a brown child on Instagram. I was like, oh, my God. <sighs> but, like, those kinds of things. Um, I I call it ghetto tourism where people go in and they, like, think they're, like, changing a community because they did, like, one week of service in the country. I do, yep. you know, feel that we have to acknowledge that we are going into big law. <laughs> yes, we are. But I don't. I don't think that negates anything I'm saying because one, I still want to like help people. And two, like I, I am coming from the background that like I was a victim of ghetto tourism. <laughs> like, wow. Well, <laughs> you know, when like white, young white people came into my schools growing up and thought they were changing things when they were only mm-hmm. there on contract for a year. And they left yeah. immediately after. Oh, are you talking about Teach for America? Yeah, I was trying not to name it. But I'm just oh. saying, like, I have been the person on the other side of that. You know, I go to a technically underperforming school and these people come in to change everything. You know, like, I... Mm-mm. No, I don't think I was ever a victim to ghetto tourism <laughs> in the context of school. I was, like, the ghetto artifact. <laughs> Wait, what like, does that oh, they mean? They do exist. I was brought into this into this setting so people could like look at me and study me. Like, oh, your exactly. hair is braided. Exactly. Like, I don't. I think I'm not. I'm not trying to discount like how important it is to consider that we are going into big law, but I do think that also like we as um, black women coming from. Um, you know, first generation black women, like it's not our, it's our responsibility to be um, like responsible attorneys and mm-hmm. like use good judgment, but it's not our responsibility to take on the like eels of these white people. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> one of the things that I, I avoided when I was interviewing for jobs is when one a woman was like, oh, you know, our Black History Month is mostly about education. I was like, hell no. I am not putting a program together to talking to you guys about Harriet Tubman. Google's exactly. a powerful tool. Like uh, when that student emailed me and was like, hey, <laughs> I think you guys should do a session on Malcolm X. I just learned <laughs> about him. He's great. And in my head, I was like, that isn't good for you. Like, I love that you are at whatever stage in your life learning about <laughs> Malcolm X. That's great. But I'm not here to facilitate your Black learning experience. I think in those cases, shame works. Like, I think just like... I just didn't respond. (laughs) That's funny. So, yeah, I I just... that That is what it is. I think... I mean, we've talked a lot. Talked about journals. We've talked about clinics. We've talked about, you know, everyone's favorite white saviors. I guess, (laughs) do you... (laughs) Everyone's favorite. (laughs) Do you have, um, I guess, is there anything you want to share about journal? I'm not on a journal and I know you are. And since you recently wrapped up, well, your writing portion, yeah. your opportunity to be published, do you have any like big takeaways? 
Yeah, I um honestly don't think it's worth it. No, I'm just kidding. I um, you're not. <laughs> I'm actually not kidding. Um, I'm gonna be honest. I would advise students to really take a strong look at why they're doing journal. Like a lot of students do it because they're told it's the only way to clerk or it's the only way to do litigation or something like that. And then I'm gonna be honest. I had my mentors, multiple people in my firm were like, I hope you don't get on journal. That's a terrible experience and you don't need to do it. I hope you don't get on. And I got on um, and I did it and they were right. <laughs> I honestly was a little jealous, not jealous isn't, I was envious of everyone who got on because I didn't finish right on. I was in the, I had a lot going on. I was like, I'm not doing this. And I didn't really want to do it. Mm-hmm. But the, right, on, right on the application it. process for oh, a yeah. uh, journal. Thank you. And we we could have a whole talk on that, but <laughs> it at our school I think it was timed poorly, and we have a very what I would consider compared to some of our you know comparable schools a short amount of time to work on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't want to do it, and at no point <laughs> when we were having information meetings was I like, ooh, this seems like something I'd be interested in. But I went Same. through the motions because I felt pressured to do it. Same. And when I didn't do it and people were getting on, I was like, oh my gosh, I've just, you know, messed myself up for my career. Like I won't have this on my resume, but honestly, when school started and you guys were stressed out about like writing your note and doing whatever it was that y'all were doing, or was it checks and something? Yeah. So you have to review the work that's going to be published in the journal, um, in the form of checks and pulls. Um, and so you have to like, pull the sources that were quoted and then you have to check them and make sure that this it was like an accurate depiction of what was said in the article like the, just essentially making sure there's no plagiarism happening y'all seem stressed and i i didn't want to do that i was like okay i've made the right decision it yeah i'm gonna be honest to- it it doesn't really matter like i think that like one thing that's great about law school now but it's really hard um to get out of this mindset is like things are changing but like back in the day it was like you could only clerk if you came from these schools and you did these things and you did this thing and then it's the only way you could go to you could clerk or be in big law or be in litigation and it's just like to a certain extent that still stands but I'm excited for that to continue to change and I, I see it changing mm-hmm. I think that's good I mean I I would, I don't think, you know, I will tell people, advise people against a few things, but I don't think I'm to the point, maybe because I didn't live this experience, but I don't think I would, you know, advise people not to do right on. I think but it doesn't, be... everyone who does okay, it, sorry. everyone who, everyone who has done it hasn't, no one has really spoken highly about it. Like everyone who has done it has pretty, talked pretty like badly about journal um you know one of our white male classmates who I have an affinity for he seems to love it and um he mentioned that someone who was on law review actually got id tattooed on their wrist I was like you know what that's probably a good fit for that person (laughs) um but no person of color I've talked to was like oh my god I love it yeah (laughs) I would say love though I don't think it's something you love I think it's like some people are like oh it makes you a better writer I don't I that hasn't been my experience. I do as I take on a leadership role in it next year, want to make it an experience where you can become a better writer. 
Um, but it did make, I am so much better at blue booking. Like, so blue booking mm. is the citations that you use as a lawyer for writing your, either writing, uh, secondary sources like journal articles or for writing briefs and stuff. I am like so much more efficient at blue booking because of journal. Like, I will say that, like, that, that, if you want to be a good blue booker, it'll, it'll help with that a lot. But other than that, I really don't, I, I really just say thing long, and like anything else, just think long and hard about like what will be the potential benefits for you. Um, and are those benefits enough to justify what you will get out of it for some schools? Um, you don't even get a credit. You don't get anything. So like, mm-hmm. do you really want to do it for zero, zero, nothing? No, right. no. You know, I'll keep saying from the mountaintops, be a research assistant for a professor you think is interesting or does interesting work because I love being a research assistant. I got published last year. It's not the same because you have no one checking your blue booking. But what I have learned is that unless you are at a firm and just happen to have a stickler manager or associate that you work for, people just want to be able to know where you got it and what page it's on. <laughs> Yeah, and they so just want to be able to like really comes it. in handy for like if you're actually filing briefs. Like if no one yeah. else is gonna see it, it doesn't matter. But it also like but I love that you said being a researcher. Like I I got published through something I worked on at my firm this summer. Like you can literally be published for like it, this is not your only way to get to publication no. or so. to become a better writer. Like there are so many avenues, and because I didn't do journal. I became an in addition to being a research assistant, I became a independent researcher for a professor. And it was just like a credit course that I wanted to take. Essentially, I signed myself up for, I made up an independent writing course and I had a professor read my writing because I wanted to get better just in case I want litigation to be an option. There are so many avenues that you can take, well, depending on what your school provides, but there are avenues you can take to be a, become a better writer, find a professor you're learning or what is it legal practice professor if they are open to you know reviewing something you write and working with you for a semester ask them if you can get a credit for it ask for what you want that is the biggest advice I exactly and that's it it's like uh just like anything in law school do what works for you don't do what doesn't work for you but don't force yourself into a box because everybody else is doing or, or somebody told you you have to do it to do to succeed in life because you don't right your, you, your personality will shine through unless you exactly. don't have one and then other things will shine through so then you don't have to lean on your personality well i'm gonna be honest <laughs> if you got no personality i can't help you no i'm just kidding, <laughs> I'm just kidding. personality higher all right <laughs> there are a lot of ways to be successful in this career um and don't so, think that not doing one thing will make or break anything a hundred percent do what's best for you take care of yourself um, we've been inconsistent with how we've been ending. Do you want <laughs> to end with a fun word or a high-low piccolo? A high-low piccolo of what? The week. Oh, let's do our high-low piccolo. I think that that is more fun and helps people get to know us better. Okay. Um, hmm. My, do you want to go first? Mm, you go ahead. No, you want me to go first? Okay. My high... So my high was winning the award. Congratulations. Award. Thank you. It feels really good. I think this is the first award that I've won in law school. Um, not that I, I don't know if there'll be others, but <laughs> it, it feels good to be acknowledged and appreciated. Um, my low 
uh oh you know what i turned a low into a high so i another thing ask for what you want like i wrote i have to write response papers once a week for a class i wrote a terrible response paper i literally was like i thought this was funny or i said humorous to use a bigger word but it was a terrible response paper and then i thought about it i was like i'm really not proud of that the response papers are due on monday the following week or no 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 it was due on monday wednesday i was like you know what i'm gonna draft a completely new one i'm gonna email the professor and be like hey she because she didn't grade mine she graded everybody else's and gave them back she didn't give me my back so i was like she's mad so i was like hey i'm not proud of my work i don't feel that it's fair to have you critique something that i'm not proud of i redrafted the paper i understand if it doesn't count towards my grade or if it doesn't factor into anything but i would love to hear your feedback on my thoughts and she was like no i appreciate that this is great she's like i'll just replace it with the old one that's awesome It was awesome. And I think it just goes to show, again, your professors are people. So that was a low submitting work I wasn't proud of. But the surprise was that the professor said, nope, well done. Like, thank you for not making me making me read your shitty paper. That's beautiful. So you got a little high, low and a piccolo. What's yours? Uh, my high uh, turning in that paper, even though it was not good. I'm just it's been hanging over my head since August. And it's just really nice as a person who likes to check things off their to-do list. It's just really nice not to have that on my to-do list anymore. Like I'm just so done much free with it. Time now. No. Um, okay. You don't like when I, I feel like that's a trigger word for you. I'm just going to stop saying it. What free time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of free time. Uh, no, I guess that wasn't be another high. Sorry. I was just going to say another high. <laughs> Share it. We love highs. Oh, I had like a me day yesterday where like I didn't, um, I don't think I interacted with anyone. Um, like really. I liked yet. when you called me and your bonnet <laughs> was off, and you were like, "Ooh, <laughs> do we have to do like, that today?" I just like stayed in bed, and then I like walked mm-hmm. four miles. I like ran a half of the mile, but I walked hey! the rest. But I like walked four miles, like with my dog, and like just like knocked out after that. And then I cooked myself dinner. And watched a movie and it was just really like things I hadn't done in a long time. And it just was really nice. Um, it sounds so. like you like dated yourself. I really I did. I, it was kind of, the low was that I was like, oh, this would be great with a partner. <laughs> oh. But I enjoyed it with myself. If you want like, it, you'll get it. True. Maybe. But <laughs> I don't like that. Black but... and my blessed things I've seen in your way. Thank you. Sorry. Unblock, unblock. Clear, clear <laughs> channel. Come on in. Come on in. Um, and, no, um, my real low was I feel, um, overwhelmed by the fact that we're nearly halfway through the semester. Mm-hmm. Um, I had like a moment where I was like, Oh my gosh, we got to get this done. It's going fast. Um, so that was a low. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my piccolo, uh, uh, it was actually kind of a high, but it was really surprising. There's, so I teach, I don't know if I've mentioned, but I teach con law to high school students in the area. Mm-hmm. And um, one of my students had always seemed like super distracted and not really interested. Um, and we're doing a problem that's about um, like a banned book list um, for students. Mm-hmm. And like they're interrogating the fourth and first amendment um, comp, like uh, implications of that. And my student came to school reading the book that was on the banned book list. And she was like, yeah, I just wanted to see what was like in it and like see if it really should have been banned. And I was like, 
I thought you weren't even paying attention. And so that was just like a beautiful surprise. And she had like all these, like the book is all boys aren't blue. I don't know if you read it by uh, George Johnson. It's a beautiful book. I really, I read it a few years ago and I really love it. I think it's written for teens, (laughs) young adults, but I I thought it was beautiful. Um, I did it at home in in my, in the privacy of my home. So people don't think I'm weird. No, it's not. You wouldn't, people wouldn't think you're weird. Um, it's just like, it's, it's memoir about him growing up as a young black male in the South, um, mm-hmm. a young gay black male in the South. And, um, it, or not in the South, sorry, in the East Coast. Um, but it was, <laughs> I don't know why I said that, there's another author. Sorry, I was mixing the books up because Michael Arsenault also wrote a beautiful book about growing mm-hmm. up as a young gay black male in the South. Um, okay and i just thought you were like yeah you know new york deep south like no 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 so um michael arsenal wrote a book called i can't date jesus um which is also so good like i highly recommend both of those books um but yeah anyway the student was reading the book and i was like oh my gosh that's so special but please read both of those books if you have the time that is beautiful thank you for sharing mm-hmm. i might i might purchase them well it sounds like overall we both had some good piccolos and some good weeks and that makes me happy. I'm happy for us. I hope everyone has a great week. Yeah. I hope everyone has a great week. All, All right. right. Stay black. Thank you. Bye.